Good morning to all of you. Welcome to Emmanuel Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And if you are a visitor, uh, please feel free to, to sign the book as you come into the church. We'd like to get to know you better. It's a joy to see all of you this morning. There are a few announcements. Okay, you are, as I understand, still able to sign up for the church campout. Okay, during Labor Day weekend, there are still some spots that are available. So if you're in the mood for camping and you haven't signed up yet, sign up. (laughs) Also, also, uh, this morning... After our service, there'll be a brief pause, and then we are going to have a presentation. The the session has approved a presentation by Danny and Ariel Rorenbaugh. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that close. (laughs) And they are here uh, this morning in terms of a presentation on Wycliffe Bible translators in which they are going out uh, themselves as part of the Rycliffe program. We are happy to have both of them with us this morning. Uh, let us come together in silent meditation. Let us stand. Light of the message this morning, the call of worship comes to us from our God, to Moses himself. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that I will speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Congregation, let us turn to number 368, number 368 in the Red Trinity Hymnal, number 368.
Our gracious God and Father, thou art the one who has called us to come before the one who is exalted as the prophet, priest, and king of your glorious kingdom. We ask, O Lord, that you would give our hearts, hearts that ascend unto thee during this time as we assemble together. And we ask, O Lord, that as we assemble, our praise will glorify your name, that our hearts and our minds would be set upon the prophet, priest, and king of glory. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. The prophets indeed do struggle to have their message heard. For the reading of the revelation of God's word this morning, I want to turn to Jeremiah as the Lord himself responds to Jeremiah in chapter 12, verses 5 through 13. Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 5 through 13. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? For even your brothers and the house of your father, even they have dwelt treacherously with you. They are in full cry after you. Do not believe them, though they speak friendly words to you. I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my heritage. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. My heritage has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has lifted up her voice against me, therefore I hate her. Is my heritage to me like a hyena's lyre? Are the birds of prey against her all around? Go, assemble all the wild beasts, bring them to devour. My shepherds have destroyed my vineyard. They have trampled down my portion. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it a desolation, desolate it mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate but no man lays it to heart. Upon all the bare heights in the desert, destroyers have come, for the sword of the Lord devours in the, from one end of the land to the other. No flesh has peace. They have sown wheat 
and have weeped thorns. They have, they have tired themselves out, but profit nothing. They shall be ashamed of their harvests because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Let us come together in prayer. Our Lord and our God, these are solemn words to the one whom thou hast brought into the world in your providence to be a prophet unto thy own people. As we read these words, it must have been very difficult for Jeremiah to to proceed in terms of his ordained path as a prophet of the living God. But, O oh Lord, thou art the God who brings still conviction to those who are lost, to those who are under thy judgment. And we ask, O oh God, this morning that we ourselves, as we read these words, that we would not be puffed up with our own wisdom, our own pride, and that we ourselves would find ourselves humble before thy throne of grace. It is by grace that thou hast chosen us and lifted us. We ask, O Lord, for your continual mercy and grace in the perseverance of our faith. In Christ's name, amen. I couldn't help but think of those words in Jeremiah to be followed by that small section in the prologue of John's gospel. In first chapter verses 6 through 11. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who gave, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let us respond, O congregation, to these words of assurance in Jesus Christ, the one who has come for us. Let us respond by singing number 608, 608, remain seated.
congregation, as we come together in prayer, I just want to make a couple of announcements. You may notice that Matt and Amanda, you see, and the children, Grace, Aubrey, and, and Millie are with us today. They will be flying back to Indonesia. Finally, <laughs> they got everything clear. And excited about getting back to the mission. And they will be flying back on Tuesday, on Tuesday. So we want to be praying for that safe journey as well and keeping them in prayer. And also, I want to report to you <laughs> that I was able to get in to the assisted living this week and, and visit with Mary Story. She is on our prayer list this morning. It was wonderful. I had a whole hour with Mary. <laughs> and it was an absolute joy to be with her and talk to her and get to know her face to face instead of over the phone. Okay? I don't know. I got in when she was having lunch. I don't know if she ever got her last bite of cake in. But anyway, <laughs> I interrupted her right there in the middle. <laughs> and then we talked for an hour. But anyways, she wanted to express, as I will pray, her thanksgiving to this congregation for praying for her over the years. So she wanted to extend that to all of you. So she looked wonderful in good health. So that was a joy to see. Let us come together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to serve the living Lord. He is not in the grave. He is not in the tomb. As they came to search for him, he had gone. He was resurrected. He has conquered death and our hideous sin before him. We come today as the people of God who love his forgiveness, who embrace the grace that has been given to us in Christ Jesus through his death and his resurrection. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would seriously have hearts that are fixed upon Christ as he exalted to the right hand of the Heavenly Father, as the continuing prophet, priest, and king of a kingdom that can never end. We look at the world, and we know in our hearts, our Lord reigneth. He is the one whose kingdom cannot be dented, cannot at all be forsaken. He is the one in which 
We have our lasting treasure. The world is in turmoil. Kings and princes battle with each other, seeking their own glory, seeking their own power, seeking their own prestige on the face of the earth. But all they are, in terms of their own hostility to others and even to whom they govern, all they are are dust. We ask, O God, that we would treasure that we are part of a living and eternal kingdom and that we know that even in a world that is antagonistic to the God of the Bible, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ perseveres. We ask, O Lord, that you would be with our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world and even within our own land. We ask that you would preserve the truth the truth of the word of God and that thou will continue to bring and bring forth the harvest of your word among the world today. We ask, O God, that thy people would be bold and yet steadfast and yet joyful in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask that you would keep us as thy people. You would keep us even within our own congregation. Faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. May the richness of thy spirit continue to abide in our hearts. So that our hearts are fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is exalted in the heavenly places. We ask, O Lord, in terms of the mission of the church, that you would be with Matt and Amanda and Grace and Aubrey and Millie as they return to Indonesia. We thank you so much for their ministry. We ask that you give them safety in terms of travel, but also give them the strength and the power to continue to proclaim the gospel to those people who are there, for those who are lost, that they would come unto the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in faithfulness. We ask for the associate missionaries, James and Esther Folkerts. We ask that you be with them also in terms of their outreach programs. They have had conferences in the last two weeks, evangelistic conference as well as a youth conference. We ask, O oh Lord, for the fruits of that ministry and that it would be also that which can reach out into other villages of that foreign nation. We also, O oh Lord, think even at home in terms of the gospel, in terms of home missions. We think of Andrew and Rebecca Canavan. We ask that you'd be with him in California. They ask that you'd give them wisdom over the plans of particularization, that officers in the church would emerge, that bylaws for the church also would be that which is manifested. We ask also that there would be growth and maturity in the numbers that are there to the end of this year. We think of Benji Swinburson. We thank thee, O Lord, for his ministry there in Linwood. 
We thank thee for the time that he had off in terms of a sabbatical. And as he has returned to the pulpit last Lord's Day, we ask, O oh God, that his refreshment and the refreshment of Christina and the family would be strong and that the church would go forth in a way in which the gospel is clearly proclaimed faithfully and that the people in the church would embrace it, embrace the gospel in a way of unity as well as perseverance. We think also, O oh Lord, of our own congregation. We're thinking, especially this morning, of those in our own families that have in some way left the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the light of the gospel be driven home to them and may the testimonies from those who believe in within these families continue to go forth. We ask, O oh Lord, that you'd be with Kristen Trantham. Continue to bless her and watch over her through this pregnancy as well as Melissa Hibbert. We ask you to bless them as well. How we give thanks, O oh Lord, for the testimony of Mary's story. We are thankful for her good health, her clarity of mind. We ask, O oh Lord, you would continue to bless her. And we are thankful now that even family can now come and visit her. Those that are close by, that has been encouraging to her. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would continue to bless her through the prayers of this congregation. And that we in this congregation would not forget her. As she herself remembers the wonderful prayers for her late husband and for herself. We think also of Michael. Chesha, as well as Liam and Callum Thompson. We are so thankful for their life. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would continue to bless them, give the manifestation of your grace and your love unto them. We ask that they would be steadfast in terms of their devotion to the Lord and how to live their own lives in a way that is in conformity to the will of God and the Lord Jesus Christ in the heavenly places. Also, they ask for continual patience and peace in parenting as well as in their marriage. May they continue to go forth with the strength of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and may it be clearly evident always in that home. We ask all these things and place these things before our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us stand and sing number 234. Number 234.
but we come to Mark chapter 6 this morning. Mark chapter 6, if you would turn to Mark 6, verses 1 through 6. Listen carefully to God's infallible word. He went away from there and came to his hometown as his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother James, and Jonas, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? They took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, the path of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is before us, even among his own family and hometown. We must understand these things as we ourselves embrace our Savior in terms of our own journey. We ask for understanding And we ask, O Lord, for your grace. In Christ's name, amen. Do you confess with your lips and believe in your heart in salvation by Jesus Christ? Have you really taken the time to examine your own faith by seriously reflecting and meditating upon the persistent faith of the woman with the bleeding disorder and Jairus' steadfast endurance of faith in Jesus through various challenges as well as interruptions. These tremendous examples of saving faith give us wonderful optimism 
in Mark's narrative at this point. But the reality of the good news going forward in the ministry of Jesus Christ continues to be confronted with hostilities and trials. Just as we are uplifted by those two narratives about faith in Jesus, we are confronted with Jesus' journey now to his hometown of Nazareth. There, as our text opens in verse 1 of chapter 6. In the fifth chapter, each element of hostility that Jesus meets and ends with the activity of triumph. Yes, the supreme authority, the supreme power of heaven and earth is placed clearly before you, wrapped in Jesus' person of cleanliness and his powerful touch. The height of demon possession and legion is taken care of as Jesus transfers the unclean spirit into unclean pigs and they drown. And the man now stands alone. That man that had that occur to him as dominant in dominant Gentile country as the evangelist of good news. Then the one who is eternally clean, our Redeemer, Jesus, is touched by an unclean woman whose bleeding disorder has isolated her for 12 years. But by her just touching the garments of Jesus, Jesus' cleanliness honors the woman's faith with immediate healing. She is truly now a daughter of Jesus. She is by faith in the family of the triune God of the Bible. Then comes the preview of the resurrection in the person and work of Jesus and the final resurrection of the children of God in Jairus' daughter. Jesus touches the unclean dead body of the young girl who was 12 years old and gives her life. Each one of you here this morning who rest, rest upon Christ alone for your salvation, have your own final cleanliness in Christ, previewed, previewed in the young girl's resurrection. We are clean by placing our faith in Jesus, in Jesus. Just as things seem to be going smoothly, and the narrative seems to be on an upturn in Jesus' journey, he now proceeds to his hometown as his disciples follow him. Now remember, remember, Jesus is living the life 
of the church. We have been following that theme in Mark's gospel since he introduced us to the appointment of the twelve as apostles in chapter 3. So please note, it is not a coincidence that the drama that is about to unfold in his hometown will be followed by Jesus sending out the twelve Verses 7 through 13. We'll be looking at that next Lord's Day. Hence, from chapter 3, verse 20, through chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus' ministry demonstrates what the ministry of his apostles and the ministry of his church will have to face and must endure until Christ's second coming. Jesus lives it first. He lives it first. What we're going to endure between Christ's resurrection and his second coming. Furthermore, you need to be reminded that after the appointment of the twelve apostles... We are told that his own family came to Capernaum and concluded that Jesus was out of his mind. Remember that in chapter 3, verse 21. Later, Jesus makes it clear that in terms of family, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now carefully note the bracket in the flow of the narrative. In chapter 3, Jesus' family negatively appears right after the appointment of the 12 apostles. Whereas in our text this morning, his family appears negatively just prior, prior to the sending out of the 12 apostles. There should be absolutely no question as to who are the true members of Jesus' family as the the apostles are sent out for ministry. It is those who do the will of God and live by saving faith in Jesus Christ. So to repeat, after being so uplifted with the importance of saving faith in the woman with the bleeding disorder and Jairus, a ruler in the synagogue, we are now in Jesus' own hometown. We just left the ruler of the synagogue's profound faith and where does Jesus go as he comes into Nazareth where does he go we have just left that man from the synagogue's profound faith where does Jesus go as he comes into his own hometown he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath to teach What a contrast. What 
a contrast. You are about to witness a contrast between the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, who came to live by faith in Jesus and the synagogue in his own hometown. Furthermore, you would think that surely Jesus is going to be honored. (laughs) He's going to be honored in the synagogue of his own hometown, right? You would think that in terms of his own person. This person who has created quite a buzz in the various geographical areas throughout Galilee should be a hometown favorite, wouldn't you think so? They should be so excited to have him back in town. Well, oddly, such honor, excitement, and prestige is not what is showered upon him, is it? Oh, yes. For one last One last time in Mark's gospel, Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, enters a Jewish synagogue to positively, positively teach the gospel of God that is found in his person. This is the last time in Mark's gospel that that will occur. Instead of the people being astonished with the authority of his teaching as they were in the synagogue of Capernaum back in the first chapter, chapter 1, 22 and 27, this time the astonishment of the people in Nazareth, the town where he was raised, has the air of perplexity. Do not miss this. Their astonishment has a negative or even a derogatory attitude, not a positive assessment. Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty acts done by his hands? Verse 2 of our text. Are you sensing the drama that is in the air there? Are you sensing the skeptical atmosphere as they listen to Jesus? It is a tense crowd of astonishment. Come on! Why is this particular individual so special? Why is he teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath? He grew up like all the young men around these parts. He never went to rabbinical school. So how can we trust his wisdom of the scriptures? All these reports about the mighty works done by his hand. Come on. (laughs) How can this be? He was raised 
He was raised as a carpenter and did carpenter's work. A versatile craftsman that worked primarily with wood. It is in this vocation that he was skilled and contributed to the village economy. To repeat, he was not trained in rabbinical wisdom of the Old Testament scriptures or to heal diseases like the great prophet Elisha. Come on. Come on. He is the widow, Mary's son, whose brothers and sisters are now present with us. Do we really expect this kind of wisdom and mighty works from the environment of his home, his occupation, and from this small town in Nazareth? Congregation, we must not overlook that this is the only time in the entire, entire New Testament that the phrase Son of Mary appears. Although the traditional reason for this, for understanding that this phrase appears here, has credence, it does. That Mary is now a widow. Joseph has died. And thus the phrase son of Mary appears. There are other points to consider as well with with respect to the appearance of this phrase son of Mary. In the second place, considering the negative context of Jesus' reception here, some scholars think we should not overlook the fact that also, traditionally in the Jewish world, to mention a son in relationship to his mother instead of his father is an insult. An insult. By using this phrase here, Mark could be accenting further the degrading atmosphere of Jesus' reception. Furthermore, in the third place, you do not want to miss the flow of the text from faith to unbelief. From faith to unbelief. Faith, in terms of the woman with the bleeding disorder, who Jesus calls his daughter, and Jairus witnessing Jesus' resurrection, resurrecting his dead daughter. Then, in contrast, the unbelief, the people of Nazareth, in which the members of his own family are included in the text before you. Interestingly, the Greek structure of the important phrase in verse 3, that they took offense, disgust at him, appearing immediately after the mention of Mary, 
his other sons and their sisters is to be viewed as all-inclusive with respect to his audience in Nazareth that Sabbath day, meaning the inclusion also of his own family. The verb used here also points to the viewpoint that Jesus' family's attitude towards him has not really changed since the incident recorded in chapter 3, verse 21. That is, that Jesus is out of his mind. Thus, in terms of my third point here, the phrase son of Mary appears in the context that is stressing unbelief. So let us cut to the chase. Mark is not conveying that those who saw and heard Jesus in Nazareth that day believed he was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who was to bring the long-awaited good news of redemption, the one who was to inaugurate the kingdom of God, Are you listening? Are you listening? Where is your heart with respect to the text? The drama of unbelief is confronting us right now. Does your view of Jesus include that he could not even build his own church in his own hometown, that he could not do a mighty work there except for a few sick people. Is that a viewpoint that is consistent with your own mind and your own understanding of Jesus Christ? you mean? Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth. Can't get even a good reception in his own hometown. Is the Jesus in your heart consistent with understanding this passage? I have worded my question here very carefully to capture the literal Greek in the text. The point here is not that Jesus failed to have the ability by his own divine nature to grow his church and to do a mighty work. But the point is that as his ministry confronts natural, depraved hearts. Jesus is free not to exercise his kingdom power in certain circumstances where the absence of faith 
and the hardened hearts of humanity are clearly on display. Or to put it in a simpler way, it is not that it is impossible for Jesus to do a miracle here, but that it is meaningless when such unbelief is so solidly rooted. As Mark points out, Nazareth was such a situation. Verse 6 of our text. Moreover, if you think about applying the parable of the sower in the flow of Mark's narrative, as Jesus lives the life of the ministry of the church before his disciples and his apostles. The seed sown on the good soil is the woman who had the bleeding disorder and Jairus. These uplifting incidents of the fruits of faith are followed by the event in Nazareth, When Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown. As we stated earlier. Jesus is astonished. He marvels. He marvels at their unbelief. Once again. Take note congregation. This is significant. It is the only time Mark uses this verb, marvel, with respect to Jesus. With respect to Jesus. Okay, movie buffs. (laughs) This is not a positive marvel response of a hero. No, Jesus is marveling over their hideous, disgusting unbelief. Unbelief to the gospel. With this being noted, this does not mean that all in Nazareth will never be restored by the redemption of good news. As we know, many members of his own family will be saved. So let me ask you, do you want to be identified with Jesus this morning? Do you want to be identified with Jesus? At this point, He does not even excel with the following of those in his own hometown. Are you comprehending the gravity of the situation? The issue here is not 
That wisdom is conditioned by a rabbinical school of education or that his almighty power is on display from a man who was merely skilled as a carpenter. These people in Nazareth cannot see beyond their own environment, their own earthly atmosphere. They fail to perceive or to be open to perceive the true divine and sovereign source of the wisdom and the power of Jesus, the anointed Messiah of the creator of heaven and earth. They do not possess Eyes to see, ears to hear, or hearts of conviction to blend. Remember the parables? To blend in parabolic form the natural world of the hands of an incredible carpenter with the hands or person who can, with the mere touch, heal a fatal fever. Immediately stop the blood, the flowing of blood from a woman's body and can, yes, by the mere touch of his hands, raise the dead. Even the natural hands of the carpenter's work point to the heavenly, spiritual, and supernatural hands and person of the Messiah's kingdom work. Sadly, as they listen to Jesus Their hearts have no room for his unique identity as the Lord of the Sabbath, the Son of God, the Christ of God. For them, the identity of Jesus is limited. It's limited to being a carpenter the son of Mary, who has brothers and sisters. In their eyes, he cannot be the anointed Messiah who brings saving faith and a kingdom that is eternal. In the tradition of the Old Testament prophets, And what is about to occur, very interesting in terms of the narrative in the weeks ahead of us. What is about to occur to John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, here presented in Mark chapter 6. The suppression of honor and truth is without Parallel 
when it hits one's own hometown, relatives, and household. Many of us here this morning know this. The pain, the prayers for friends, those who are related to us, as well as immediate family members. Oh, where Christ is not honored in such a difficult situation for all of us in our own lives. As Mark arranges his narrative, even in the life of Jesus on earth, he must face this exact hostility himself. Jesus knows this struggle in every believer's life because he went through the exact same situation in his hometown with his relatives and with his immediate family. Although he was the son of God, he learned obedience through suffering. Remember, Jesus is living the life of the church. All of us, all of you, who suffer in this exact same context, know that Jesus walked these same steps on your behalf. He did this even before you. Do not forget that Christ's life on earth was a life of suffering, all the way through his crucifixion on the cross. And as you look at the text carefully, in verse 6, please note how Jesus responded. How did Jesus respond to this very difficult situation, which many of us, if not all of us, face within our own families in some way? Yes, he marvels about their unbelief, but he moves on to other villages as the great evangelist of the good news. He continues to teach the gospel of God, the gospel of the kingdom, calling for repentance and faith in him. Verse 6. If friends and family members are hardened towards the gospel, you, you must remain faithful, never departing from the truth, the joy, and also 
when those opportunities arise with those in your family, the presentation of the gospel message that is found in Christ. Hold fast to your identity in Christ. You must not fail to continue to live in the teaching of Jesus. In the words of Jesus himself, do not fail to continue to live in the will of God revealed in his word so that you are called by Jesus, my daughter, my son. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth and provided the reality of living in a fallen creation that needs his redemption. This invaded even his own hometown, relatives and immediate family. We are so thankful that he has encouraged us today to persevere in the identity of Jesus, to never to give up hope, and to declare the gospel that is only found in his name to all those who even seem to be hard unto the gospel. We ask, O Lord, for your witness upon the lips of thy people in this congregation, and that their hearts and their walk would be that which is overflowing with the gospel of Christ. In Christ's name, amen. Let us stand and sing number 686. Number 686.
great God and Father, how thankful we are for the privilege of being in the assembly of thy people. We thank thee for your reception of our praise to your name. And may we know that we are a people who suffer in terms of the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. But may these gifts be given for a suffering people to be majestic to the honor of Christ and to his church. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. We will worship, we will worship the Lord our God with our tithes and our offerings. to remember. We'll take about a five-minute break, and then Ariel and Danny will make their presentation. So if someone can find also the, the music stand, it's somewhere, oh, where is it? Usually, but anyways, they would like that out. So, here's the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.
start gathering in. How close am I on the pronunciation? Roar like a lion, oh like you're confused, ba like a lamb. What? Roraba. 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 Isn't that interesting? I'll never Angus remember that. Roraba. Oh, it's good German. Good well, it used to be good German. German. <laughs> now you're bad German. Roraba. Roraba. Oh, yes, right. Now, see, that makes sense to me. Roraba. Okay, Roraba. We are honored this morning to have the Warabaugh with us today, okay, and uh, Danny and Ariel. Now, uh, I always looked, uh, I didn't know Danny as well, I just met him one other previous time, but Ariel, I saw much of her growing up, okay, for they were in the, she was in the Cornerstone Church in Chattanooga because she's the daughter of our OP minister, Calvin Keller. Okay? And then also, she is a granddaughter of maybe many you know because her grandfather and her grandmother attended this church and was a deacon in this church, Don Harrell, and surely attended this church. So in one sense, it's a little bit of a homecoming. <laughs> okay, okay. And so that's, that's absolutely wonderful. And to have them here with us today. Calvin Keller now serves in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, as a pastor. And because these two are like many in this congregation, off the Richter scale in terms of my intelligence. <laughs> These are both PhDs in mathematics. <laughs> so, and, and Ariel even taught at the very, some of you may know this school, but it's like an Ivy League school in Maine. It's called Bates College, right? Kobe, excuse me, okay, got the wrong one, but it's still the same thing, same difference, okay? So, so I get those two mixed up at times, thank you. So, uh, so anyways, it is a real honor to have them, and I also will just even, even say this, <clears throat> you know, I debated to see if Pam wanted to take a break this morning because Ariel probably has played the piano where I have preached in more churches than any other pianist <laughs> over the years. <laughs> okay. And so at Quarterstone in Chattanooga, then in the church, in the OP church in Atlanta, uh, when she was going there for her PhD. It, and then and now she's at Sandy Springs, a church that I served as a stated supply for three years. Okay, so they're members there, both of them, because it's close to the University of Tennessee, uh, and which you got your PhD from there, correct? Or yeah, you teaching? 
research position. That was a research position, exactly. So anyways, okay, so we are honored to have them as they are thinking, uh, the preparing for, I should say, preparing to go out under Wycliffe in terms of the uh, Wycliffe as translate of to help them with the computer software. That's gonna be, that's gonna be interesting. Another thing that Bill has no clue. Don't say anything, Norm. <laughs> okay. All right. All the help I get in this congregation from my incompetencies. All right, let's have clear prayer. We thank thee, O Lord, for Ariel and Danny, and we ask, O Lord, that you'd be with them in terms of their presentation and their future in terms of their service to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the scriptures going to all the world. We ask your blessing upon them and upon our, us to have ears that are listening. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning. Your witness out here in Kent is an encouragement. It is wonderful to see God sustaining his church and through it proclaiming the gospel. I remember, as Pastor Benison was saying, visiting here many years ago with my grandparents, Don and Shirley Harrell, when they lived in Washington, and I see some familiar faces from back then. It is a joy to be here with you, and we are thankful for the opportunity that we had to worship God with you this morning. We are Danny and Ariel Roraba, and as Pastor Dennison said, uh, we're members at Sandy Springs OPC, that's in Maryville in East Tennessee. Now, uh, it was a couple years in the early 2000s that you were there during uh, the time they didn't have a pastor, and your interim ministry there was a great help to them. They're, send warm greetings to you from, from Sandy Springs. Thank you for the, to the session for inviting us to share with you about our work with Wycliffe Bible Translators. And thank you all for sticking around after. This is, this is great. We, we are excited to share about what God is doing around the world through Bible translation. Today, so many people are without access to scripture. Currently, more than one and a half billion people, nearly a fifth of the world's population, do not have the complete Bible in a language that they understand. In the words of Romans 10, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? The vision of Wycliffe Bible Translators is for people from every tongue to have the Bible in a language that they understand and to come to know God through his word. Wycliffe's origins date back to the summer of 1917. William Cameron Townsend went to Guatemala to sell Spanish Bibles and to labor as a missionary. He quickly realized that the majority of Guatemalans were descendants of the Mayan Indians and they didn't read or speak Spanish. Several Cachacal Indians there expressed to him their concern that the scriptures were available in Spanish, but not in their language. These conversations and the urging of God's spirit prompted Townsend and his wife to settle among the Cachacal to learn their language and translate the New Testament into Cachacal so they could have it in the language they understood best, their own language. Ten years later, the New Testament was finished, and from that first translation, Wycliffe Bible Translators was formed. Do you know that our church standards have something to say about Bible translation? Now, we have the uh, Red Trinity hymnals in, in the pews or in the, in the chairs. Can we get a volunteer to read something from the Westminster Confession of Faith? 
Where's a volunteer who's willing to, we got one here, all right. Is that Kenta? Uh, yeah, if you can go to uh, page 849, we're looking at chapter one, paragraph eight. Maybe I should get a mic for you. The Old Testament in Hebrew, which was native language of the people of God of old, and the New Testament in Greek, which, at the time of the writing of it, was most generally known to the nations, being immediately inspired by God, and by his singular care and providence kept pure in all ages and therefore authentical, so as in all controversies of religions, the church is finally to appeal unto them, but because these original tongues are not known to all the people of God who have right unto an interest in the scriptures and are commanded in the fear of God to read and search them, therefore they are to be translated into the vulgar language or common language of every nation unto which they come that the word of God dwelling plentifully in all, they may worship him in an acceptable manner and through patience and comfort of the scriptures may have hope. Thank you, Kenta. And uh, as, as we heard clarified, the word vulgar doesn't uh, have the same meaning now as it used to. It means common or ordinary. Um, the confession points out that all people have the right to read the scriptures, are in fact commanded to read them, and therefore the scriptures ought to be translated into the common languages of every nation. And as scriptures are made available to people in a language that they understand, God transforms lives through his word, drawing people together into one family. One day, Wycliffe pilot Dan Gleason was flying several Monobo Christian leaders to a Bible conference in one of the villages on Mindanao Island in the Philippines. The airstrip was wet, and Dan touched down a little too far up the runway. He applied the brakes, but the plane skidded on without stopping. So as Dan came to the end of the strip, he performed a ground loop. It's a quick stop maneuver to... Uh, to bring the plane to a stop. And as the plane whipped around, there was a sharp jolt, a grinding crunch. When the plane did come to a stop, he checked the passengers, and they were okay. He got out and checked the plane, and Dan's heart sank. The tail gear was ripped loose. The tail section was crumpled. Fixing it would be costly. And this plane would be out of service for a long time, which would be a serious hardship to the translation teams in the area who were dependent on air transportation. Dan walked down the airstrip to collect his thoughts. He later said he wanted to just crawl into a hole and let someone fill it in. When Dan came back to the plane, a dozen of the Minobos were squatting in a circle with their hands over their eyes. He listened and realized that they were praying for him. Later, Dan was leafing through his Bible as he waited in the village for help to come. And Militoon, one of the local Monobo believers, nudged Dan and pointed to a reference in his Monobo Bible. So Dan looked it up in his English Bible. It was 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Dan thought, 
Wow. Thank you, Lord. Melatoon nudged him again and pointed to another reference. And so Dan looked it up in his Bible. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Another Manobo believer came to Dan and said, Don't be discouraged. You are serving the Lord, and he will provide the people and the money to fix the plane. And then he quoted Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for them who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Later, Dan recorded his feelings. He said, I came to the Philippines thinking I would help the Filipinos, but I found they are always helping me. They fed me, gave me a place to sleep, and helped me along those slippery trails, carrying my loads physically, emotionally, and spiritually. They took time to remind me of the truths of God's word that I thought I was supposed to be giving to them. There are today 717 languages that have the full Bible. Well, we're going to do a quick demonstration to show how this compares to the number of languages that still need translation work. So if I can get a few volunteers up here, just two or three people, anyone willing to come up here and join us for just a moment? Yeah, come on up. Just one or two more. For this, uh, one works. Well, we'll make... <laughs> Well, we'll we'll make do. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yes, thank you. We're going to do this with a tape measure. So it's very, very uh, straightforward here. These Each one of these 16th of an inch tick marks we're going to use to represent one language. So between my fingers here, one inch, that's representing 16 languages. Or if we look at one foot, that's just, just shy of 200 languages. We're going to have... Uh, Ariel stand here holding the end of the tape measure, and uh, yeah, this will be this will be good if you can move this way a little bit. First volunteer, Kenta, if you can take the tape measure and start walking away from Ariel and stop when it says stop. Oh, so now we're looking at the distance between Ariel and Kenta. This is three feet eight inches. This is representing the 717 languages that have the Old Testament. So if you can stay there and hand the tape measure off to our next volunteer. Can you remind me your name? Lynn. Lynn, so if you can start walking until it says stop on the tape. There we go. You have to press the button to put it back in a little. Yeah. So now we're looking at the distance from Ariel to Lynn. This is 8 foot 3 inches. This is representing languages that have the New Testament but don't yet have the whole Old Testament. What's your name? John, John, if you can walk until you see a stop and watch out for those chairs. <laughs> oh, you're going to have to set that down and keep walking 10 more steps. We don't have a long enough tape measure. <laughs> There's a sticker there. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> well, yeah, just keep going five big steps. There we go. Okay, so now the distance between, uh, yeah, you can see each other from there. Between Ariel and John, this is around 26 feet, 5 inches. This is representing over 5,000 languages that don't even have the New Testament. Thank you, dear volunteers. You can go back to your seats. So how do we fit into this? Here are Danny and Ariel. Both grew up loving God and his word. Both concerned for those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Both interested in contributing to Bible translation. And here are Danny and Ariel. 
both grew up interested in mathematics, completed PhDs in math, ultimately met at a math conference. <laughs> and then in recent years, God provided research positions for us in computer science, a sister field to mathematics. When we began to seriously investigate how we might get involved in Bible translation work, we discovered that through the transition to computer science, the Lord had equipped us to contribute to Bible translation through software development. Software supports all stages of the translation process. For example, designing fonts for languages that haven't previously had a written form, or creating dictionaries, verifying accuracy of in-progress translations, or making translated scripture available via apps on solar-powered devices for people without electricity. In 2020, God provided a volunteer opportunity for me, a temporary opportunity to develop this software. Several months in, my supervisor encouraged us to consider long-term, full-time work in language software. Still, the idea of giving up regular employment and relying on financial partners for support was daunting. A few months later, our pastor, James Gansevoort, preached on Exodus 35 and 36, where the Israelites are stirred to give to the Lord out of thankfulness for what he has done for them. In that sermon, our pastor reminded us of the incredible grace that we have been given in Christ. He encouraged us that meditating on Christ's salvation will stir us up to joyfully serve God's kingdom. Driving home, we discovered that we were each thinking the exact same thing. We need to join Bible translation work full-time. God has granted us the opportunity, skills, and desire, and if this is what he has planned for us to do, then he will provide. So we have joined Wycliffe Bible Translators. From Tennessee, we will be remotely serving translation teams around the world, and we're both delighted at the prospect of long-term work in translation and linguistics software to further the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. The Engen people live in Papua New Guinea, where Tok Pisin is the regional trade language. There is a Bible translation in Tok Pisin, but most Engans are not fluent in it. Wycliffe is actively working to complete a translation of the Bible into Enga. The Engan people are also largely an oral culture. Most of them don't read or write. They only speak their language, but they're very good listeners. So the translation team creates audio recordings of each book of the Bible as they're translated and releases the audio on solar-powered MP3 players. People can listen to God's word in Enga for hours at a time, and when the battery dies, they simply place the player in the sun to charge. Engans have said, when we read the Bible in Talk Pisin, we never read a whole chapter at a time, but we can listen to an entire book of the Enga Bible in one sitting without getting tired. Once people start listening to the Bible, they often want to try to read along with a printed copy as they listen. And in doing so, many teach themselves how to read their own language. In places with no electricity or running water, it seems safe to assume that people don't have much access to technology, right? We were surprised to learn that Android phones are spreading, even in places with little infrastructure. People without electricity travel to the nearest village to charge their phones. And so Wycliffe is releasing audio recordings of the Enga Bible as a free Android phone app that highlights the text sentence by sentence as the audio recording plays. The Engans will quite readily sit down and try to read along with the Android phone app. We're going to hand out a short activity now that illustrates another important role of software in Bible translation work. So on the top, if I can get one copy, uh, yeah. 
at the top, you'll see seven different languages. And then there are seven translations of Romans 10.17. So working either individually or in groups, however you prefer, try to match the language with the translation. And we have some extra pencils if, if you need. If you could pass some of those out, that'd be great. Anyone need a writing utensil? I think there are some pens in the chairs, but we have. Yes. Thank you. I've got one. <laughs> Anyone need a pencil? Good. Confident everyone's gotten at least one of them so far. There, there's a personal connection there to uh, to, to one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll we'll go over answers here in just a moment. So, any volunteers, brave volunteers, to tell us what number one is? English. All right, what's number two? Chinese, good. And number three? What's Ukrainian? And number four? That's Arabic, yeah. Number five? Okay, I, I just want to make sure you're, you're past any of that. <laughs> number six? Cherokee. And number seven? Vietnamese, good. All right. 
in order to translate the Bible into an undocumented language, we first need to document the language. And one key ingredient of language documentation is the writing system. So the seven translations that you see here of Romans 10.17 give us a small taste of the many writing systems used around the world. We, with English, are used to writing left to right, but some languages, like Arabic, number four, are written right to left. We're used to letters representing sounds, but for some languages, like Chinese, number two, each symbol is representing a different word. And we're used to writing letters without, without a bunch of extra markings around them. But some languages, like Vietnamese, number seven there, have a whole bunch of diacritics to designate things like tone. When documenting a language, linguists work together with native speakers to develop a writing system that makes sense to the people. And then computer software is what lets us type words and print Bibles. Your computer at home has a keyboard with everything that you need for typing in English, all the letters, numbers, and punctuation. But people who speak Kurdish, Oriya, or Avidi need to type very different characters. Translators use specialized software to design fonts and keyboards with all the symbols used in that language, and not just the letters, but every jot and tittle. Another major element of language documentation is dictionary creation. During my temporary volunteer position in language software development, I've worked on a new piece of software being designed for dictionary creation. And once finished, this software can rapidly accelerate language documentation by translators. It also facilitates more interactive dictionaries with audio of pronunciation by native speakers. This particular software helps translators and native speakers work together to create a dictionary. The speakers will go topic by topic and record every word they can think of in each topic. And this allows speakers to come up with words and phrases that somebody from another language or another culture might not know to ask about. So, for example, if we do this kind of word collection in English and the topic were move something, what are words or phrases that you can think of that relate to moving something? Just shout them out. Carry? Pushing? I keep dancing. Transport. Deliver. What was that? Railroad. Railroads. Transport. Yeah, great. Good work. Our friend Susie is a linguist learning the language and culture of a people group in West Africa in order to translate the Bible into their language. And part of her study involves reading picture books, stories told using only pictures, and then explaining the story in this new language she's learning. Here's a picture from one of these books. We see a woman carrying fruit on her head home to her children. Here's a picture from another book. Here we see a farmer carrying a fishing pole over his shoulder. But the language that Susie is working with uses two completely different words for carry to describe these two pictures. Carry on your shoulder is different from carry on your head, is different from carry in your hand, is different from carry on your back. Each of these would be a completely different verb. The word carry shows up well over 600 times in the Bible, and Susie notes that for each one of these, they will have to consider how the carrying was happening in order to translate it. So what exactly will we be doing as software developers with Wycliffe? 
our job will be to design, update, and maintain software that translators need. If you ever write an email, listen to an audiobook, edit a Word document, or send a text, you're using software. Someone created that software, and it requires maintenance to make sure it continues to function properly as technology advances. Well, software developers create and maintain software by writing computer code in programming languages like JavaScript or Python or C-sharp. Many of the tasks of Bible translators can be accelerated by software that is specifically designed to help them. For example, software can be used to design fonts for a new writing system, to streamline and enhance dictionary creation, to organize and check new translations of biblical text, or to distribute audio Bibles on smartphones or solar-powered devices. But in order for software like that to exist and work reliably, it needs to be created and maintained by software developers. That will be our job with Wycliffe, communicating with translators to understand what they need and making sure software like this is available, reliable, and well-maintained. In 3 John, the apostle writes Gaius to commend him for how he treated the missionaries who came through his region. John calls those who serve in such a manner fellow workers for the truth, teammates, partners. In other words, when these men traveled around to preach the gospel, it was as if Gaius was right there with them. Fellow workers share in the same goals, the same mission, if you partner with us in what God is doing around the world. We invite you to partner with us in prayer. We will happily add you to our mailing list to keep you updated on the ways that God is working through Bible translation and on our specific prayer needs. And we would also love to hear from you about what's going on in your life and how we can pray for you. If you'd like to be on our mailing list, there's a sign-up sheet that we've put on the table in the back there, and you can give us your email address or mailing address for us to send that to you. And we invite you to partner with us financially in our Wycliffe ministry. Wycliffe is a nonprofit Christian organization, and our ministry with Wycliffe relies on regular financial partners. We're not allowed to begin our full-time assignment until we reach 100% of the ministry budget that Wycliffe sets. Every recurring gift, which can be as little as $5 a month, moves us toward our full-time work with Bible translation. We have some pamphlets out on the table as well um, that detail ways to partner Financial gifts for this work uh, should be preference for the Wycliffe Ministry of Danny and Ariel Rorabaugh. For giving by mail, the, the back flap of the pamphlet tears right off, or there's an envelope out there if you prefer that. Uh, and you can fill out the sheet here and send it in with a gift. Or if you want to give online, our, our website with Wycliffe, the URL is right on the front. And uh, there's also our email addresses if you just want to contact us. We're still building our team of fellow workers for this ministry. With recurring giving, we're currently around 40% of our full ministry budget. Would you prayerfully consider whether the Lord is calling you to partner with us in this work? And would you please pray for us that we would have wisdom and energy and that the Lord would provide? Thank you. And are there any questions for us? Thank you. Yes. Part of the uh, ministry budget includes retirement 
funds. Uh, so, so building a, a 401k kind of thing um, so that those who have been working for a long time through a uh, supported ministry budget have retirement built into that. Uh, yes, the insurance. Um, in terms of, well, uh, our spiritual oversight is as members of, of our local church. And it's oversight that we've been greatly appreciating these last few years. <laughs> yeah. The the language software group kind of does everything. It really depends on what the application is for. So in the case of uh, distributing audio Bibles, that's, that's mobile development. In the case of the application that I've worked on that helps with uh, word collection for dictionary creation, that's been a web-based app that's front-end written in JavaScript and the back-end written in C-sharp. Um, Java, Python's used in some of the, the projects. And whether or not it's a, a mobile app or a web app or a downloaded um, program depends on what the use is. Yeah. Do you have some programming experience to be asking these questions? <laughs> we'll have to talk more about that after. That'd be fun. Any other questions for us? Well, thank you so much. We really feel very welcome and are glad to be here with you. close in prayer. We ask, O Lord, that you would be with Danny and Ariel as they make plans to do a very complex work in your kingdom. We are so thankful for the word of God that we have, and, and it is a joy to hear that others are going to be provided with the word of God. We ask you to bless their work and bless their service to the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. In Christ's name, amen.